Hello. Hi. Welcome back. To Thank you. Another episode of Midwest Madness, your true crime cults conspiracy encrypted podcast. I just realized how bad my ass fucking is hurting right now. <laughs> Do you want a fellow no. to sit on? Are you sure I can throw you on? No, okay. I'm gonna just readjust real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Here. It might. I just hit your dog with okay. a pillow. Okay, <laughs> we're back. Oh, I'm Emily. <laughs> and her ass hurts. And my ass hurts. And I'm Danielle and my back hurts. But you know what? I've committed to this position on the bed while Emily's on the floor because otherwise I can't see her and that's really weird. We're thriving. We're not surviving. Well, no, we're surviving. We're not thriving. <laughs> um. So last week I told the story of the weepy voice killer here yes. in the state of Minnesota um, Danielle just informed me hers is a doozy. Uh-huh. So everyone prepare yourselves now. I actually start it with a, a trigger little trigger warning. warning. Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing the story of John just, Wayne Gacy. Oh God. We're just going to get into it. <laughs> yep. Because it's, she said it's a long one. So, so and we um, pretty much talked about everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Last time. So, so. um, honestly, like I, I told you like a couple of minutes ago, like I almost gave up on this one twice. Um, because this it was really hard. Yeah. That's why it, I haven't tacked. I like I've thought about tackling it so many times, and I'm I was just like, it's and I, a little I kind of thought, daunting. yeah, and I kind of thought like, okay, one of us is going to do it eventually. I'm already doing the research. I might as well just suck it up and get through it. Um, It's, it's a fucking lot. I'm yeah. going to be honest with you. And it was pretty hard to read. So um, if uh, crimes against children, rape, torture, and murder are not your thing, now would be the time to bounce. Yeah. Come back for next week's yeah, episode. I understand completely. Um, it Yeah. It sucks. Okay, all right. Well, so. see you guys. I'm going to bounce. <laughs> Fuck Dude, you. Emily's gonna talk Emily's, Emily's gotta, Emily doesn't have a choice. She has to listen. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. All right. Serious? So, Do you want to bounce? I don't know if your little ears can hear this. He does not. He wants to be as close to your body as humanly possible. That's what he wants. Um, how dare you stop petting him for four seconds, Emily? Who do you think you are? Okay. Go. All right. So John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17th, 1942, which was a lot later, like earlier in the century than I thought. I thought he was like our parents' age. 60s? Yeah. So that was surprising. Um, John was the youngest of three children. He had two older sisters um, who he had a good relationship with. He was also close to his mom, but not his father, who was an abusive alcoholic. His father would belittle John, calling him stupid and say things like he was a sissy, a mama's boy. And when his mother would try to shield him from his father's beatings, he would taunt him. Um, due to this, John never felt like he was good enough in his father's eyes. In 1949, when he was seven years old... He was caught with another boy touching a young girl sexually. His father 11? beat him. He was seven. Seven. Uh-huh. Whoa. Yeah. So he starts young. Um, John later recalled that in the same year he was molested by a family friend. He never told anyone because he was afraid his father would blame him for the abuse. Again. Same same thing as your story. Like, feel bad for the kid, but not the killer, basically, or the, the man. Right. You know, for the choices that he makes later. Right. Um, his father's abuse continued um, throughout his childhood until John moved out at 18. John went to Las Vegas, where he worked at a mortuary. He lived there as well. He slept in a, a small room in the back behind the embalming room. And this was the first place that he acted out on his attraction to teenage boys. 
One night, he climbed into the coffin of a teenage boy and touched the body. What the fuck? It sexually excited him, which freaked him out, and he ended up calling his mom the next morning, asking if his father would allow him to come home. When his dad agreed, John went back to Illinois. Yeah, it gets upsetting. I'm so sorry. Um, After moving back to Illinois, John went to college despite not graduating from high school and then graduated from college in 1963. He got engaged to a co-worker from the Nunn Bush Shoe Company named Marilyn Myers. Um, He joined a uh, local chapter of JC's. Do you know what JC's is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, um, so JC's is an organization that works with leader trainings for people aged 18 to 36 in the community. It was founded in 1938 in Cleveland and was for men only until 1984. Um, and he stays involved with that group for a very, very, very long time. Um, so uh, John received awards at... Um, the shoe company for being a key man. I don't know what that means. I think it just means like you're important. You work hard for the company. It's someone that they can't really work well without would be my guess. Um, he spent the night in April after this, getting this award, um, in 1964, he spent the night with a male colleague who performed oral sex on him. And that was like his first, um, gay experience john and marilyn got married in september of 1964 the couple then moved to waterloo iowa where his father-in-law bought a kfc and hired john to manage it john and marilyn moved into her parents old home this is like waterloo is like like i know where that is yeah it's it's, crazy it's really not that far (laughs) um so john and marilyn moved into her parents old house um and then while running the KFC, John decided to open an employees-only club in his basement where his teenage workers could come and drink alcohol and play pool. Bad. Yeah. Anytime an adult that you're not related to or family friends with is like, hey, come hang out with me. That's a red flag. Like, like I don't want to hang out with teenagers. That's weird. There's one teenager that I've spent time with, but it's always out in public. She's a former summer of mine. So we like, we'll meet up for coffee or something just to like catch up. Okay. So like, that's a little more normal because we have like a mentor relationship. It's not like a, we're not friends. I'm not trying to hang out with her and be like, let's have a party at my parents' house or your parents' house. You know, like that's weird. So teens, it's weird. Not cool. So the teenagers that worked at his restaurant were both male and female, but it was only the males that John would invite over and socialize with. John would give them alcohol before he made sexual advances. If they rebuffed him, he would pretend like it was an act to see if they could pass his, quote, test of morals, end quote. Remember, this is the 60s. So being bi or gay was really not accepted as much or at all as it is now. Yeah. Um, in February of 1966, Marilyn gave birth to their first child, a son, and a daughter followed in March of 1967. Bam, bam. Yeah. In 1966, John finally got the approval of his father, who apologized for his abuse of John during his childhood and said, quote, son, I was wrong about you, end quote, as he shook his son's hand. 
in question yes ma'am is that like relevant for some reason well it's like he'd been striving for his father's approval so like i just didn't know if that was gonna come back so i should remember no okay no it was just kind of like a oh good for you dad fuck that guy also dad you were not wrong about your son he is a piece of shit terrible person in 1967 john joined the local JC's chapter where he would provide fried chicken from one of the three KFCs that he managed. The members of this chapter were heavily into wife swapping, hiring sex workers, watching pornography, and drug use. Wow. Because nothing is more fun to me than watching porn with my friends. Isn't that fucking weird? Yeah. It's so weird. Um... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in August of 1967, John assaulted his first live teenage victim, the 15-year-old son of a fellow JC member named Donald Vuhees Jr. Donald was lured by John to John's home with the promise of watching porn. Again, what the fuck? Super weird. So weird. And drinking alcohol. John then convinced Donald to participate in oral sex, telling him that, quote, you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with women, end quote. John Gacy sexually assaulted several young men over the next few months. One of the plays that he used was telling teens that he was commissioned to, to conduct homosexual experiments for, quote, scientific research. Well. And he would, <clears throat> he would then pro, um, pay them $50 each to keep their mouth shut. What the fuck? Yeah. So in 1968, um, Donald told his dad what John Gacy had done, and Daniel, Donald Senior Senior reported John to the police. John Gacy denied the accusation and said that the accusations were politically motivated because Donald Senior did not want John to be the president of I the Iowa chapter of JCs. Yeah, that's it. Unfortunately for him, this claim did not work, and he oh, was good. charged with sodomy on May 10th, 1968. At the end of August 1968, John paid one of his co-workers slash, like, employees, um, Russell Schroeder, to attack Donald Jr. to keep him from testifying. Oh, damn. Russell maced Donald Jr. and beat him, but Donald Jr. was like, uh, able to escape and identified Russell to the police. Russell denied the attack, but then admitted it and gave up John. Mm, not a good look. No. Not at all. He was a prison, then, I'm assuming. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, on November 7th, 1968, John Wayne Gacy pled guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Donald Jr., but did not plead guilty to any of the other assaults. His wife divorced him, and John never saw his wife or children again. Oh, God bless. I know. Good for her. One good thing to come out of the story. Right. On June 18th, 1970, John Wayne Gacy was released from prison after serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Wow. So, it's just one of those other, one of those infuriating things. Like, if they just fucking kept him in prison, so many things could have been avoided. Yeah. Because it, it's 1970. So, just remember that it's 1970 and he should have been in jail for 10 years. So, he should have been in jail from... Or sorry, uh, 1968 was when he was put in prison. So he should have stayed in prison until 1978. Yeah. Just remember that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. So 
Um, after his release from prison, John moved back to Illinois, and within eight months, John had already been accused by two different teenagers of sexually assaulting them. He wasn't tried for either of these because the first boy didn't show up to court, so the charges were dismissed, and the second boy was accused of trying to blackmail John, so his case was dismissed as well. In December of 19... That's so interesting, because he has a history. And he's on probation. Yeah. But the problem was, since he was not living in Iowa anymore, he had moved to Illinois, the Iowa Parole Board did not find out about the assaults until after his parole was over and there was nothing they could do. Damn. Yeah. So that was infuriating. So, okay. In December of 1978, John and his mother um, had bought a house and um, were living in Norwich. John was super into the community... Oh, wait, sorry. That can't be right. It can't be 78. Okay, well, John and his mom were living in a house together. Probably in the 70s. It was probably 1970 because 8 and 7 are... Or 8 and 0 are close to each other on the keyboard, and I must have just hit the wrong button. Sorry. Anyways, um, John was super into the community and was very active. He would host huge parties where there would be nearly 400 people at the parties every summer, including several political leaders. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, and that's why we drink, says pillar to killer. So a community pillar, and they turn out to be a terrible person. Definition of John Wayne Gacy right there. Um, he marries his second wife, Carol, in oh. 1972, and she and her two daughters move into the home with John, and his mother moves out. Carol. I know. In 1975, John told his wife that he was bisexual. um, And he told her on Mother's Day that would be the last time they would ever have sex. Oh. He was like, yep, we're done. We're not doing it anymore. So that's because he was getting it elsewhere. He started spending more time away from the home. And later his wife admitted to seeing John bringing teenage boys into the garage on a regular basis. She also found gay pornography, um, men's wallets, and IDs in the house. And when she questioned John about it, he basically told her to fuck off. Um, the couple divorced in 1976. Okay, good. By 1976, John was lurking, working. Lurking. As, yeah. <laughs> also lurking. Yeah, that too. Um, as a landscaper for a company called PDM, he um, moved up this in this company very quickly uh and it sounds like he became either like a manager or like a part owner i couldn't really tell um but he was in charge of a lot of people um he so while working at pdm he also became a member of a local moose club oh uh-huh. i was gonna look up what a moose club was and i forgot <laughs> no you don't need to i can tell you okay the moose you've never heard of the moose you've been to the moose that it's the same thing yeah Oh, my God. Shut up. Yeah. I did not know it's that. It's like an American Legion, but for not, you know, like nor- not veterans oh. or whatever. You just, it's like a club. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that was just the name of a bar. No. It's actually, <laughs> there's like mooses all over. Interesting. There's mooses all over. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Cool, cool. So, I do know what that is. I have been there. All right. Not obviously to this one, but. So, um. First place I ever blacked out was a moose. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where we have those really funny pictures with Tommy from? Yeah. Your okay. birthday picture that I posted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Okay. 
Um, okay, so he joins the local Moose Club where he also joined the, quote, Jolly Joker Clown Club. No. He joined the club doing parades, children's visits, and fundraising events. John's clown personas were named Patches and Pogo. So he had two different ones that he would dress up as. Oh, um, the p- pictures are equally horrifying no matter which p- clown he is. I just want to know when clowns got such a bad rap. Probably from Probably him. from this motherfucker. Yeah. Um, while working for PDM, John was working with mostly young men, obviously because it's a landscaping company in the six, 70s. Um, he would often proposition them for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for other favors, like letting them borrow one of the work cars, his car, um, helping them financially and for promotions. In July of 1975, John went home or went to the home of an employee, 15 year old Anthony Antonucci. He got Anthony drunk and then tried to handcuff him. Anthony fought back and was able to wrestle John to the floor and handcuffed him instead. The team then got the key away from John, who promised to leave if Anthony uncuffed him. So Anthony did, and John left. Wow. Yeah. Is he okay? Anthony? He doesn't die? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's fine. Go, Anthony. Yeah. Um, in August of 1975, David Cram, a hitchhiker, moved into the house with John. After two unsuccessful rape attempts, David moved out of the house. Maybe. No, I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to whisper it to me? I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> um, Michael Rossi moved into the home and ended up living with John. He was 18 years old and lived with John until April of 1977. John's first known murder, murder was in January of 1972. He lured a 16-year-old boy named Timothy McCoy to his home he picked timothy up from a greyhound bus terminal um how did he he like lured him into his car i don't okay so he didn't like lure him to the area he just like once yeah he like was he was like he called it he called it cruising oh that's what he called looking for his victims it was called cruising and he was just cruising and he saw timothy at the greyhound bus terminal and was like hey, you can stay at my house. It's cool. Like, you know, um, I know you're on your way. He was on his way back home to Nebraska from visiting family, and he was going back to his dad's house in Nebraska, and he had just stopped in, in the area for the bus. And so um, John takes Timothy back to his house, promising him a place to stay, And then John kills Timothy by stabbing him. He claims that it was a miscommunication and that it was he was defending himself against Timothy, who appeared in his doorway with a knife in his hand. Um, But I I just don't I have a hard time believing anything this asshole said. Likely story. Yeah. Um, John buried Timothy in his crawl space. Um. The second murder victim is still identify- unidentified. John strangled the man before burying him again in the crawl space under his home. His third victim was 18-year-old John Butkovich, who worked for John Wayne Gacy. This is going to get kind of confusing because they're both named John. So John B. was owed some money by John Wayne Gacy. And so John Wayne Gacy convinced John B to come to his house where he was able to 
con John B into putting on some handcuffs. And I, I, I feel like it's something that he would use the clown persona for. Like, here's what my, I don't, I have zero proof of this, but I was thinking, okay, what would convince me that to put on handcuffs if I was one of these guys? And what I could see him doing is being like, Hey, I want to show you this really cool trick I learned as, for my clowning act. I want to show you how to get out of these handcuffs or some, you know, something along those lines. Again, zero proof of it. Total speculation, pulling this right out of my ass. I have no idea, but that's the only thing I could think of because he pulls this move more than once. Right. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Here's a rule of thumb. Mm hmm. Emily life rule. <laughs> Emily life hack. <laughs> just let's just not put handcuffs on unless you're being arrested by the police. Or you're in a loving and committed relationship and it's like a kink. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Because <laughs> like there are people that like to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But I'm just saying. But yeah, in general, great life hack. Thank you so much, Emily, for yeah, your welcome. wisdom. Yep. Good move. Okay. So, um, he, John Wayne Gacy cons John B into putting on the handcuffs. Then he sat on John B's chest for a while. That's what he told police. And then strangled him to death. John Wayne Gacy then buried John B in an extension of his garage and covers him with concrete. From 1976 to 1978, John committed most of his murders. He no longer had a wife, so he didn't have to pretend like he was a normal functioning human being and was allowed to rape, torture, and murder as much as he wanted. Yeah. I, <laughs> I told you this one was fucking brutal. Well, it's just like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, a- it's... Yeah. I definitely... I, I no, no. questioned why I had done this one a couple of times. I was like, why? 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 I mean, we were, it was going to have to be done at some point. Don't have to, but... I mean, more than likely, we were going to get it done at some point. So it was like... And I know I've had people ask me why we haven't done it before, so... Really? Is it the same person that asked you to do Ted Bundy? Or like a big one? Haley? Uh, no. Okay. Here's why. Because it sucks. <laughs> it's rough. It's like... It's... Uh, because these they're young men and you know some of his some of his victims are 14 15 years old and i feel like too it's a little different like with him and um like Dahmer because they're so medias like medias i don't know what the correct Um, word is but there's so much like dramatization about them them. right yeah so you kind of know the stories a little bit more Mm -hmm. but it's like some of these other serial killers that we like research and learn about it's like you might know the but like the bare bones of it yeah but the meat but that's probably a very bad word just like <laughs> analogy right now but but the media hasn't the coverage the, right the no you just don't know the whole story right and then once you get to know more it just gets more and gets hard it's taxing yeah it's yeah this one was i will definitely be looking for something a little Lighter. less <laughs> yeah. devastating maybe i'll do a survived story next oh, week because yeah. those are nice because it's like yeah you badass anyways here we go back to it so um robert donnelly 19 was tortured by john after he'd been raped um john dunked robert's head into the bathtub drowning him several times until he would pass out 
While he did this, John would taunt him with phrases like, aren't we playing fun games tonight? What the fuck? Isn't that disgusting? Yeah. Um, Robert, he let Robert live. Oh. Yeah. And Robert reported the attack to the police, but like John told him, he was not believed. That's so shitty. Um, That's a whole other yeah. aspect of it, but we're not going to, I don't want to get down that. No, because that. I don't want to go down that hole. <laughs> no, because that's like a never ending rabbit hole, yeah. honestly. Um, when police confronted John, he told him, or he told the police that he and Robert were in a sex slave relationship. And that John had refused to pay Robert, so Robert was lying to get back at him. And unfortunately, police believed him. So just like your story, you know, Dahmer said, oh, no, this is my boyfriend. And police were like, okay, that's cool. Go go back with him. All right, bye. And then he ends up dead. So luckily for Robert, he does not end up dead in this situation. But unfortunately, several other men do. Yeah. Um. Jeffrey Rignall was another survivor who reported it to the police, but wasn't believed either. Um, basically he was left in a park unconscious by, um, John and when he, he like woke up and like staggered back to his girlfriend and he was like bleeding from his butt and like had like burns on his chest and like was just like had been the shit had been beaten out of him. I just pray that these people were able to live some sort of a functioning healthier yeah after this yeah right um so he like was really foggy but he did remember certain things and like he didn't just like remember enough but he did remember the car that he had been taken in and so he and two of his friends actually are super badasses and they stake out the area he'd been dumped in and when they saw the car that he vaguely remembered he and his friends followed the car back to john's home so John was actually arrested for this and charged with battery, but didn't have any prison time. Ugh. I know. John's final victim was Robert Peist, a 15-year-old boy. John ro- offered Robert a job. Um, he was working at a drugstore, and John had gone into the drugstore and had mentioned, like, oh, hey, yeah, I hire people your age all the time i pay five dollars an hour or whatever for like your age and i think that was like a a pretty good deal in the 70s especially for a 15 year old because a lot of places won't hire at 15 yeah so when his mom when robert's mom came to pick him up from the part-time job he was currently working at the drugstore he told her that he would come home right after he went to talk to a contractor about a job offer John conned the teenager into donning handcuffs and raped and strangled Robert. Robert's family grew concerned about his disappearance, and Robert's boss at the pharmacy, Phil Torf, told police that John Wayne Gacy was the contractor that had offered Robert a job. Police went to John's home, and he denied that he ever offered Robert a job. He claimed that he had only talked to him about if the pharmacy had building supplies. John was caught in a couple of lies. He'd told police that he'd gone back to the pharmacy because he'd forgotten his date book and that Phil Torf had called him to come get it. Phil denied the phone call and denied finding his date book. So police thought that maybe Robert was being held prisoner in John's home. So they got a search warrant and searched the house. So during that first search, police found a gun, which he shouldn't have had because he's a convicted felon. felon. Yep. Um, 
and a syringe, a hypodermic needle, handcuffs, several books on homosexuality, several pornographic films, an 18-inch dildo, bottles of Valium, several driver's license, a blue hooded parka, underwear that were too small for John, and a section of nylon rope. So things start to heat up really quickly here. It was just a shit ton of information, so I didn't write it all down because at this point I was really fucking sick of hearing about this guy. And so basically what the police do is they set up 24-hour surveillance on um, John and they took all of the vehicles that he had access to. So it was like he had to either like call for a ride to get everywhere or like walk everywhere. And um, they talked to um, Jeffrey Rignall about his attack. They talked to his ex-wife, Carol, the second wife. Um, and then they talked to Rossi, who was his roommate, and um, they kind of learned more about some of the attacks and why. Um, so Rossi had bought a car from John that had belonged to one of his victims, and John had said that this victim had sold it to him, and so like police were like, okay, this is sketchy. Um, they ended up bringing in police dogs to, like, search the cars that they had taken. One of the dogs indicated that, yes, there had been a dead body in one of these vehicles. They thought it was um, Robert that the dog was oh, signaling yeah. about, but we don't know that for sure. Because at this point, they only know right, right. that Robert yeah, yeah. is missing, missing, and he was probably the last person that Robert was seen with. Right. Um, so the constant surveillance went from December 12th until December 18th and John was starting to like feel the pressure. Um, he went to his lawyers and filed a a civil suit against the, um, Des Plaines, D Plaines. It's like, it's like Des Moines, like, you know, but you call it Des Moines. I think it's De Plain. I don't know. Um, police for $750,000 to, and he wanted them to cease their surveillance. On December 20th, John drove to his lawyer's office and he was drunk when he got there and asked for another drink when he was there. And one of the lawyers, Sam, um, uh, Amrenti, I don't know how to say his name. I'm sorry. Um, got John some whiskey and then asked him what he wanted to discuss John then started his confession, telling Sam that Robert Peist was dead. He pointed to the boy's photo in a newspaper and said, quote, this boy is dead, he's dead, he's in a river, end quote. John also confessed to being judge, jury, and executioner to, quote, many, many people, end quote. And after this confession, a second warrant was served. Police ended up finding the bodies in his crawl space. Was he in a river or was he in the crawl space? Um... Robert was in the river. Okay. So what had happened was he'd killed so many people that he ran out of room to bury them. So he confessed to throwing at least five bodies over this over this bridge into the river. He wasn't sure if one had landed on um, a passing barge or not. Um, But they only ever found four of the bodies. Jesus. So... 
Um, John ended up telling police where he'd buried several of the victims in his garage and showed him the location of where he'd thrown the bodies into the river from. John was sentenced to death uh, and died on May 10th, 1994. Congratulations, you never shared airspace with this piece of shit human being. God bless. Unfortunately, I did. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give a give a nod to all of his victims um in the least traumatic way because there's details on pretty much all of them because he gave a very detailed confession if you're interested in that you can find it online i'm I, I just can't so i just wanted to at least give all of their names and ages at the times of their deaths so this is just a list it's not in any particular order um but here we go. We have Daryl Sampson, 18, Randall Reffert, 15, Samuel Stapleton, 14, Michael Bonin, 17, William Carroll, 16, James Hackinson, 16, Rick Johnson, 17, Kenneth Parker, 16, Michael Moreno, 14, William Bundy, 19, Francis Alexander, 21. Gregory Godzik, 17. John Sizik, 19. John Prestige, Prestid, Prestige, Prestige, uh, 20. Matthew Bowman, 19. Robert Gilroy, 18. John Maury, 19. Russell Nelson, 21. Robert Winch, 16. Tommy Bowling, 20. David Talsma, 19. William Kindred, 19. Robert Donnelly, a survivor, 19 at the time of his attack. Jeffrey Rignall, a survivor, 26 at the time of his attack. Timothy O'Rourke, 20. Frank Landon Gin, 19. James Mazarea, 24. Timothy McCoy, 16. John Budakovich, 18, Robert Peist, 15. There are still five victims that remain unknown. Well, that is my story. I don't think we really need to say much after that. I feel like we should just kind of leave it with the names and, um, I agree. I don't even know if I want to say socials, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I kind of just want to leave it at that. And um, our sources will be in the, in the show notes. notes and yeah. Um, you guys have a good week and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. It's Tuesdays, right? Yeah. Okay. Bye.